People think lightly of God's kindness and forbearance and assume that because God is patient and hasn't executed judgment yet, that He never will. Romans 2 verse 4, Do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Don't think that way. His kindness, His patience is waiting for you to repent. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. God is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And He has His arms wide open. And history will be a display of the glory of God in His mercy and in His judgment. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott concludes the message titled, A Righteous God and a Savior. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. There are those who think that God... uh, because he's sovereign and because he's the one who has mercy on some and hardens others, that he won't save those who want to be saved. Oh, he'll save anyone who wants to be saved. The problem is nobody wants to be saved. Nobody wants God. They're running from God. Who was it that sought Adam out in the garden? It wasn't Adam saying, oh, Lord, what did I do? Come to me. It was Adam hiding and God saying, where are you, Adam? He came to seek and to save the lost. God is the initiator of salvation. And I'll tell you, if God didn't initiate it, then no one would be saved. And God is under obligation to save no one. I mean, let's be very clear on that. You really grasp Romans 1, 18 through 320, and many of these questionings just melt away, just like that. The trouble is, we don't really want to grasp Romans 1, 18 through 3.20. And if you've been with us, I don't want to just throw stats around if you're visiting or if you're just joining, but I'm talking about the early part of Romans because Paul is arguing the case and you're jumping into the middle and I'm glad you're here, but I'd say go back and read the early part of Romans. And uh, if we really get hold of that, and remember, Pharaoh is the picture of mankind, so is Israel for that matter, but we looked at it last time. Look back to chapter 1 and read Pharaoh in there again with me. Look at Romans 1. And listen, because the objection comes right as Paul says what he says about Pharaoh, and that he has mercy on whom he will, and he hardens whom he will. And so go back, and sometimes it's good to personalize this text, because he's talking about the whole race in Romans 1, verse 19. That which is known about God is evident within them. But I'm going to read Pharaoh there. Okay, let's just pick on Pharaoh for a minute, uh, because he's a representative of, of sinful man. That which is known about God is evident within Pharaoh, for God made it evident to him. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that Pharaoh's without excuse. For even though he knew God, even though he said he didn't, he did, even though he knew God, he didn't honor him as God or give thanks but he became futile in his speculation, and his foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, he became a fool and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures and frogs and gnats and the Nile River. And we talked about that. That's what false religion is. It's a turning away from the true God and a worshiping of the creature rather than the creator. So what did Romans say? Verse 24. 
Therefore God gave Pharaoh over in the lust of his heart to impurity, that his body might be dishonored. And he exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave him over to degrading passions. And verse 24, 26, and 28, three times it says, God just let Pharaoh be Pharaoh, if you will. He gave him over to what he wanted. Pharaoh didn't want any part of God. I don't know God, and if I did, I will not let the people go. So God says, okay. He hardened Pharaoh. Sin is the punishment for sin. Now, this was well established in chapter 1, but he's applying it in some of its real depth here in chapter 9. And so I come back to it and say, God simply steps back and lets sinful man go his own way. He's dealing with sinful humanity, and he shows mercy on some. He rescues some, and he hardens others. He allows them to plunge on in to their own willful sin. Well, what are you saying then? How can he still find fault? Who resists his will? Verse 19. Are we just puppets on a string? No. No. In fact, think about the question. Here's a puppet on a string shaking his hand up there. Is that the way? Of course not. The very question shows that man has this ability to rebel and chooses to and is in rebellion against his creator and his God. God's sovereign purposes in no way nullify man's will, man's responsibility. You say, I can't grasp that. I can't reconcile those two, Scott. Neither can I. I don't try. The Scripture teaches that God is in charge, He's sovereign, and the Scripture teaches side by side that man is responsible for his sin and that man ought to choose God. He ought to will and he ought to run, but he won't. Now, you don't have to reconcile those. God doesn't ask you to understand everything. You and I are quite limited in our abilities to understand. We're very finite. God asks to be believed. And you know, wherever He teaches these truths, He leaves them in a beautiful biblical balance. And in other words, Romans 9 and Romans 10 are side by side. And He's going to develop this. There's no excuse for man in this. Romans 1 said, they're without excuse. God has given them over. But they ought to worship God. And Romans 9 teaches this very clearly. Romans 10 says, come to me. Whoever will come. Be saved. In fact, Romans 10 goes on and says, how are they going to hear if we don't tell them? And we're going to joy, enjoy and rejoice in the proclamation of God's grace that we're commanded to proclaim in chapter 10. And sometimes people say, well, which is it, one or the other? And they try to reconcile this and water both truths down and kind of come to a mush in the middle. And I say, don't do that. Just let God be God and realize this in no way this in no way compromises man's responsibility. David said in the 131st Psalm, I don't involve myself in things too difficult for me. He simply said, trust in the Lord. I hope in the Lord. Like a weaned child rests against his mother's breast, so my soul takes its hope in the Lord. 
He said, I don't always understand. I'm not like a suckling. I'm not like one who has to go to mom for what he wants, milk and just that. No, he said, I'm like a weaned child who rests against his mother's breath. I've come to know that God, I may not always get my answers completely answered. I may not be able to understand everything, but I've found that he is trustworthy and I rest in him. And then he says, and it's a short little psalm. He says, oh, Israel, trust in the Lord, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. You'll never be disappointed hoping in the Lord, trusting in the Lord. Now, having said that as background, look at the question, the objection, the heckler, if you will. How does he still find fault then? And Paul rebukes the question, and then he answers it to some extent. But I'll say this, how does he still find fault? Because there still is fault. That's why it's a whole burden of Romans, and even the burden of Romans 9. He still finds fault because there is fault. That's why. On the contrary, he says, Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? Oh, the flesh abhors this. I mean, I'm sure right now, someone's saying, How can he say that? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? Oh, a sinful man hates to be put in his place. There's something about the natural man that resists this at every point. We want to be God, not God. Don't let God be God. We want, if God, if anything's left up to God, it must be unfair. Why doesn't he leave us in charge? I mean, after all, we've done such a good job when we are in charge, right? Well, don't bother me with that. That's not, the flesh doesn't like to care about that. The flesh just hates God and resents him being God, and is very eager to tell God how to be God. This is a quote, and I wish we had the time, but it's a very significant portion of Isaiah 44 and 45, and this is a quote of verse 9 in Isaiah 45, Woe to the one who quarrels with his Maker. An earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? Or the thing you're making, say, he has no hands? Chapter 44 and 45 of Isaiah, God clearly asserts who he is. And he says, Israel, don't worry, I've chosen you. I'm the only God. He's going to send them into Babylonian captivity. And he says, don't you... Uh, don't trust in the foreign gods. You see, when man starts to rebel against God, what does he do? He makes up his own gods. He builds idols, if you will, whether it's a golden calf or the frog god or the weather god of Egypt. You know, uh, it doesn't matter. And so in the Babylonian captivity, the Israelites were being tempted to fashion idols. Uh, and they were doing that, in fact, before God took them into the Babylonian captivity. But in those two chapters, God asserts that, listen, I'm in charge. And he ridicules the folly of making idols, the folly of all the false gods. He says, I'm the only true God. There's no other God besides me. And he asserts that very clearly. And he says, don't quarrel with your maker. And then he says, I'm going to raise up Cyrus. And he tells how he's going to raise up Cyrus, the Persian leader, who will deliver Israel back. He's going to raise up a Gentile to deliver Israel and bring them back into the land. And then he closes the 45th chapter and he says, turn to me all the ends of the earth and be saved. Jew and Gentile alike. There's only one God and a Savior, a righteous God and a Savior. And, he, and the Israelites hated to hear this. And there's a real parallel to Romans 9, 10, and 11. Because God, is, we're told in these three chapters, God is making Israel jealous today through Gentiles. And he's 
opening the door to Jew and Gentile alike, and ultimately his purposes will be accomplished. And you close off at the end of chapter 45 of Isaiah, it's very parallel to the end of chapter 11 of Romans when he says, to him be all the praise and glory. But he simply states this one truth. He says, listen, don't argue with your creator. It'd be as ridiculous as the clay trying to tell the potter that he's made a mistake. You turn things around, Isaiah 29, 16. You turn things around and try to make the potter like the clay, he says. Don't do that. It's folly to do that. Now, he leaves the analogy, and that's all it is, by the way. There are many analogies in the Scripture, and this isn't the only analogy, and it, it just emphasizes one great truth, that God's in charge. He leaves the analogy and speaks clearly, verse 22. What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he also called not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. Now, let me just draw some obvious and clear truths from these verses. First of all, all mankind is one lump of sinful clay, okay? That's all God has to do with. Whether you're talking about Moses or Pharaoh, Israel or Gentiles, you, me, he's dealing with sinners, okay? All humanity is the same lump of sinful clay. We could all righteously be condemned. That's what we deserve. Romans has clearly taught that. God, secondly, shows mercy to some and redeems them. Verse 23, he calls them vessels of mercy. And he does that to his glory and at his cost. The fact that you and I are saved today, Christian, is to his glory. And it's at his cost. We talk about free salvation. But Romans has emphasized not only the freeness to us, but the cost to God. He did so to his glory and at his cost. And thirdly, God shows much patience, look at verse 22, toward those vessels of wrath which were prepared for destruction. He could have just judged. He could today. He could snuff out and send to hell everyone outside of Christ. But he endures with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Now, look carefully at verse 22 and 23, and notice that in, in, in 23, it says very clearly, vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand, okay? In 22, look at it, it says simply prepared for destruction. He changes vocabulary and he changes the voice. There is an active, He prepared us, vessels of mercy. It's God's initiative in salvation. There is the passive voice and the simple statement of it in verse 22, prepared for destruction. You see, even the vocabulary and the voice of God here, He carefully guards this truth. God is responsible for salvation. Man is responsible for sin. And I underline it. All eternity will show this. You say, well, how is that if God is sovereign? I don't know. 
I don't fully understand all these things, but I have found joy and peace in trusting Him, the trustworthy one. And I'll tell you this, God insists on it. He is not the author of evil. And in fact, we prepare ourselves for destruction with our sin. We're the sinners. He is the Savior. And He does the saving. He prepares us for glory. Now, sinful, wicked, perverted, sin-darkened man mistakes that patience that God shows for what? Weakness. Look back at chapter 2. And so today, this is, such, this is almost the rallying cry of, of men. You hear it all the time, one way or another. People think lightly of God's kindness and forbearance and assume that because God is patient and hasn't executed judgment yet, that He never will. Romans 2, verse 4, Do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience? not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Don't think that way. His kindness, His patience is waiting for you to repent. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Oh, God is not willing that any should perish. Don't count His slowness as that, slowness. Oh, no. God is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he has his arms wide open. And history will be a display of the glory of God in his mercy and in his judgment. And he's doing this, look back at chapter 9 now, verse 24. In infinite grace, he's calling out a people at his cost, the cross of Christ, from among Jews and Gentiles. There's no distinction. And we're going to see it in chapter 10. Very clearly, the gospel goes out today to whoever. Don't you say to me, well, it doesn't matter whether I believe because it's all up to God whether He chose me or not. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God will never turn down a sinner who wants to be saved. Do you want to be saved? I'm asking you seriously. Well, I don't see. Oh, you don't want to be. Well, how can he? Are you ready to turn loose of your questioning of the potter and come and be saved? Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Don't argue with God on this. Accept his mercy. Turn to him. How long are you going to stay obstinate? God said to Pharaoh. And he just hardened his heart time after time. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Christian, you say, I can't grasp all this. You don't have to. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. Every now and then I run into those who say they got it all figured out. And I always just kind of smile and my, at least try to, I try not to show them because they're usually pretty earnest. I had a professor one time tell me he had it all figured out. I just thought to myself, okay, got a lot more gray stuff than I do. Now, you don't have to understand God. We worship God as the holy and righteous Savior. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. You know the word humble comes from the Latin humus, soil, dirt, clay. You know, it's kind of a good thing to remember, isn't it? Uh, and, you know, let me give you four very quickly things uh, as Christians. 
Don't ever allow this truth, this glorious truth that God's in charge and that He's working out His purposes and one day both vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy will be to His glory. Don't ever allow this to keep you from praying. It didn't keep the author here, Paul. Well, then it doesn't matter what... Oh, Paul said, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. I'll tell you, I have unceasing grief in my heart and great sorrow when I think of Israel's unbelief. And the one who authored these things continued to pray and he continued to proclaim and he gave his life in proclaiming the gospel and he challenges us in chapter 10. How are they going to hear if we don't go tell them? And we are under commission from the God of the Bible, the righteous God who's a Savior, to go tell the nations of Jesus Christ, to make disciples of all the nations. And don't ever slack off in labor either. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God in me. The more you understand of God's grace, the more you'll labor to make His glory known. The more you understand of God's sovereign mercy and salvation, the more you'll proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those who somehow use this as a way to quit praying and proclaiming and laboring are sadly mistaken. Don't fall into that. And then, thirdly, accept this truth with humility. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to Thy name give glory. Because of Thy mercy, Thy loving kindness, Thy loyal love, because of Thy truth, not to us, but to Thy name give glory. And every Christian instinctively says, Amen. It's not my glory, it's His. Don't give any credit to me for my salvation. I was running as fast as I could to get away from Him, and He got hold of me and saved me. And He gets all the glory for this. And then finally, praise Him for it with gratitude. Look over. I want to just peek ahead to chapter 11 as we close. When Paul summarizes all his thoughts here in chapters 9, 10, and 11, as he thinks of God's sovereign purposes in history, that God's purposes will not be thwarted, that God made some promises to Israel and He's going to fulfill them even though Israel's in unbelief. God is going to make them jealous by the Gentiles and all the other things that He's going to teach us in these chapters. When He gets to the end of it, He says... Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became His counselor? Who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? Nobody. No, it's for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, A Righteous God and a Savior, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. 
It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Many people today uh, are congratulating themselves that they believe in the existence of God, but they want nothing to do with His supremacy. There are those who say, well, I believe in God, but they don't want Him to rule. And you know, the real issue, I'm not impressed at all when somebody tells me, I believe in a God. There must be somebody upstairs. (laughs) The Bible says, in fact, that all men know that. We saw that back in chapter 1. You may be here and say, well, I don't believe in God. Well, I know deep down you do. Because the Scripture says, even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks. And the question isn't, do you believe in God? I mean, the demons believe in God and they shudder because they're in rebellion against God, the Bible says. No, the question isn't, do you believe in God? The question is, do you honor Him as God? Is He God to you? Do you worship Him? Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Israel's Unbelief. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.